individualism will make us victims. Solidarity and community will allow us to find ways beyond this colonialism, which are the same ways that got us out of the old colonialisms. So it is time for us to have unity with other beings and to have solidarity. And it's under harsh test that the best emerges is my learning from a long life, you know. It's time to change the world. It's time for something better. We're telling the stories of people who are changing the world and how you can help. Our daily actions have a massive impact. So what will we do about it? We can remake the world. Because guess what? We can. Hi everyone. I'm Nathan Gardner and this is We Can Remake the World. A podcast about people who are changing the world and how you can help. We started something last episode where we focus on a few pieces of good news before we get started. So here's the good news for today. First up, wild flamingos may be returning to Florida. Flamingos haven't been residents in Florida since the late 1800s. They don't usually stick around, but that's been changing. A wild flamingo was rehabilitated after feeding in polluted waters back in 2015 and then released in Florida and he stayed around for two years, which is very unusual. This led to more flamingos sticking around longer term, leading scientists to believe that flamingos may now have enough food and clean water to make Florida a permanent home, for a small population at least. Why is this good news? Why does it matter? It means that efforts to clean up Florida's ecosystems after decades of pollution are likely getting some initial results. The Biden administration also, just a few weeks ago in January, announced a commitment of $1 billion to the restoration of the Everglades, the huge ecological system in southern Florida, bringing hope to many on the ground who are concerned about water quality and other resources, both for wildlife and for people. Next up, the city of Brighton in southern England is doing its part for bee populations who have been declining due to challenges like loss of food sources in wild plants and pesticides being sprayed all around the world. The city will now mandate the use of bee bricks, special bricks for buildings perforated with small holes which lead into a hollow center, which bees can use as a nest. In all construction, these bricks will be mandated to support the long-term health of local bee populations. And once more data on the success of this program is gathered, it may become a model for other cities around the world to help bee populations rebound and thrive and support ecosystems which sustain us. And finally, and this one is so encouraging, the global nonprofit, the Xerces Society, recently released its annual report on monarch butterfly populations for 2021. Monarchs are a critical pollinator and a beautiful presence all across North America, and their report showed really good news. In 2018 and 2019, the Xerces Society counted less than 30,000 monarch butterflies in the wild, and in 2020, under 2,000, which was a disastrous signal. But in 2021, volunteers and local communities in California counted almost 250,000 monarchs as they spent the winter along the California coast, which is part of their migratory pattern. These were the best numbers seen in 20 years. 
Conservationists are hugely encouraged by this, and who knows, maybe we can see it as a silver lining to the decreased human activity due to the pandemic. Maybe our slowing down helped the population to rebound a bit. Forty years ago, these numbers were higher, in the low millions consistently, so if you're anywhere in North America and want to be part of the solution to help monarchs regrow their populations, and especially in California, consider planting native milkweed, which is their favorite food, or planting a variety of recommended monarch nectar plants, which you can easily find with a quick search, and also avoid pesticide use, contribute to community gardens, or volunteer with monarch support and tracking organizations like Xerces, which can be found at xerces.org. And now let's get to our episode. I'm so excited to share it with you. It's not often that we get to meet our heroes in life, and today we'll be speaking with one of mine, Dr. Vandana Shiva, activist, author, scholar, ecologist, eco-feminist, scientist, food freedom leader, earth warrior, and more. In my experience, to hear her speak is to be inspired. Stay with us. First, the idea that Monsanto can patent a seed by putting a toxic gene for Roundup resistance into a plant, that that is a creation of seed. How can we be governed by an illusion that introducing a toxic gene is creation of life? It's an error, and it is this error that compelled me 26 years ago to start Navdanya, the movement for seed saving in India, because I do not think seed is invented, and therefore a patent on seed is wrong from the first step. Vandana Shiva is not afraid to stand up to massive global powers. For 35 years, Dr. Shiva has been speaking globally on behalf of biodiversity, farmers, indigenous peoples, and on behalf of the rights of the earth, which she believes are just as important as the rights of people. Dr. Shiva received her PhD in quantum theory in 1978 in Canada, trained as a scientist, and she returned home to India to join the Indian Atomic Nuclear Research Community. But during trips home while studying, Dr. Shiva became involved with India's famous Chipko movement, a community of indigenous women, primarily, who were preventing deforestation in their communities by physically standing between lumber companies and their local trees. Chipko means tree huggers. Dr. Shiva formed the Research Foundation for Science, Technology, and Ecology, in 1982, which married her interests in science, innovation, and ecology. While building her foundation, Dr. Shiva learned of the plans of global agribusiness corporations like Monsanto, Cargill, and others to patent life itself by claiming property rights over seeds and plant supplies, therefore trying to control the global food supply from seed to plant in order to generate profit. This alarmed Dr. Shiva deeply and caused her to become a global activist and a prominent speaker over time on issues of ecology, biodiversity, agricultural sovereignty, and corporate exploitation of farmers and indigenous communities. Vandana Shiva formed Navdanya, which means both nine seeds and new gift, as a branch within her foundation to focus on these issues in her native India. In 1987, I was invited to a meeting in Geneva 
and uh, the industry laid out how they wanted to patent seed, they wanted to genetically engineer seed, they wanted to buy up every small seed company, and they said by the turn of the century we will be five companies controlling seed and health, agriculture and health. And I thought to myself, that's a dictatorship. And it's a dictatorship not just over human society, but over the earth community. And I just decided then to start saving seeds. If there's any perfect example of another battle between David and Goliath where David won yet again, Vandana is it. Sometimes called the Gandhi of grains, through campaigning, activism, her writing, and collaboration with local and indigenous communities, Vandana Shiva and Navdanya have contributed to successful legal challenges, to the desire of Monsanto and other global agribusinesses to control agriculture in India. On the ground, Navdanya has worked with over a half a million local farmers, providing them with native organic seeds in exchange for a commitment from the farmers to save and share those seeds to preserve that life and to share those seeds with other farmers as well. She gives us an example of what one individual can do to build a community movement around the rights of people and nature, to operate free of corporate control and influence. She is a globally respected corporate and government watchdog and has received prestigious awards like the Right Livelihood Award, also known as the Alternative Nobel Prize, which you may remember from our most recent episode, where we spoke with the executive director of the Right Livelihood Foundation, Ole von Uxkul. Check that episode out if you haven't already. That organization is doing amazing things in the world. Dr. Shiva is very clear that we stand at a threshold between following the messages of wealthy corporate interests down a path of destruction, or following the messages of ecological and spiritual leaders who see a path toward renewal and a restructuring of our societies toward something that's much more sustainable and equitable for all of us. And we are honored to have her on the show to talk about the world she sees today and what she sees as far as the next stage happening right now in global corporate exploitation, which is often disguised as progress, and the power that she believes individuals and communities have to stand up to the ideas and practices which destroy the earth and trample human rights in the name of financial profit. Before we get into our interview, I want to just say quickly that some of Dr. Shiva's views may seem a bit controversial to some. But I would ask everyone to keep an open mind. Vandana is no stranger to unchecked power. She's been watching it closely for years, and she's been observing global corporate behavior, tactics, and corporate deception for years. So I would recommend that you don't dismiss her opinions too quickly, even if some of them challenge you. And I would encourage you to dig deeper into everything she says if you're curious. I looked into everything she spoke about, some of which I had never heard before, and found evidence to support it. I think we can even view Dr. Shiva as an expert in the behaviors of global power and and in the ideas she explores. She watches more closely than the rest of us, so let's give ourselves the opportunity to learn from her experience if we feel open to it. And to benefit from her belief that the power of the Earth family which she calls in her native tongue Vasudeva Kutumbakam, is the most powerful force on the planet. 
more powerful than corporate greed, more powerful than governments who may have been corrupted by corporate interest, and our best solution to create positive change and a better world now. I'm thrilled and honored, frankly, to welcome Dr. Vandana Shiva to our show. Dr. Shiva is a world-renowned author, speaker, scholar, activist, scientist, researcher, pioneer of many important ideas, you name it, she's done it. So thank you so much, Dr. Shiva, for your time, and uh, it's truly an honor to speak to you. Thank you, Nathan. My pleasure. Absolutely. So, Dr. Shiva, in preparing for our conversation today, I read your book, Oneness Versus the One Percent, um, which was illuminating. And also, of course, some of these things can be a bit distressing when you realize the scale of them, um, as far as the power of the one percent, the influence they wield, and their intentions, frankly, as we learn more about what those are. Um, but I think what I came away with most was this sense that we really stand at a choosing point. I think it's something that we've been aware of maybe for several years regarding the climate and conservation and the earth, but it feels like this year, this moment is especially important. And I wonder if you agree and what your thoughts are sort of about this I, moment. I, I absolutely, I absolutely agree. We are at a watershed moment between the continuity of our species hmm. and our humanity and the extinction of the species in a few decades, maybe, but the extinction of humanity in the very short run. Hmm. Humanity, both for those who are being treated like disposable people. You know, I've studied in Canada. I've done my PhD in, in Canada, and it was a society that had guarantee of everything. There was no poverty. No one was, uh, was denied health. No one was denied education. Everyone had homes. It was a distributed prosperity. And now I watch the visions of people being thrown out of apartments and then being thrown out of the streets because that too is illegal. And I say in such a short time, how could it be that the best of countries could treat their citizens as disposable people? Yeah, absolutely. And also the way I think many of us have, have observed corporations treating individual beings as disposable, whether that's wildlife, plant life, or human life, frankly. And now we're just yeah. seeing this sort of culmination of that philosophy, that practice just getting bigger and more visible than ever. And that reminds me again of another point you make in the book that really this is a, the next step in colonization, that Sometimes I think we think of ourselves as living in a post-colonial world, but we don't. And I'd love to hear you speak about your ideas of, you know, the modern day colonialism, who the colonists are and who the colonized are. Uh, because I come from a land that was colonized, I come from the land for which the first corporation hmm. was created, the East India Company. Uh, for us, these trajectories become more easier to identify. Uh, and we don't fall into the trap of this linear progress that the colonizers have created. That hmm. We were primitive. We were backward. While they were stealing our vaccines, you know, in, vaccination was made in India. Hmm. They took the idea from here, then yeah. banned it in India. Of course. They, as they have done for so much biodiversity, for so much, so many practices. Steel making, hmm. the best of steel making transferred, shipbuilding. They took the best of shipbuilding and then they banned the shipbuilding in India. So we have watched this over the life of the East India Company. Hmm. So when the Monsanto say, 
we are the creators of seed and we will own the seed and no farmer will have the right to save seed. I recognize it as bio-colonialism. I recognize it as bio-imperialism, as an empire over life. When I watch Bill Gates stand up on the stage at the Paris summit in 2015 on climate, and uh, in 2016, I have him see him arrive in my country where overnight cash has been banned. Overnight, a land of small money, two rupees, five rupees, rickshaw puller, a worker, a seller of five pieces of cauliflower, all their lifetime earnings stolen. By one. Three days later, he congratulates India on the war on cash. And then I realized this is also connected. And, and just as East India Company to Monsanto, Columbus to the biotech industry was a continuity of colonialism, this new, new mega convergence of the biotech industry, which is the old poison cartel of Hitler's Germany, uh, with the tech giants who have emerged as giants in the last 30 years of deregulation and globalization, largely by never, ever paying any tax. You know, the first World Trade Organization meeting was no tax on information transfer. So here is the biggest money-making endeavor of our times, and they're not taxed. Um, but when I watched our cash being banned, just like Monsanto tried to ban our seed saving, and I watch forcing of digital technologies on children who have universal education under our constitution. And we have, even in the poorest village, the poorest child can go to a physical school. Overnight, you get digital smartphone compulsory. 50% of the children are dis disenfranchised. So I watch this as the next step of colonialism, which is now all the corporations that have gained illegitimate power through unfair rules of unfair trade, which hmm. is called free trade in the typical double speak of our times. Right. Um, then I say, oh, so this is the new recolonization. Hmm. But this colonization is deeper. The first round, they took land and gold and spices and textiles. Second round, they tried to take life living systems and i have to say the little bit of work i did saving seeds redefining intellectual property redefining agriculture and primitive seeds and who which are the real breeders of the world we stopped that we stopped that um this new colonization follows the old patterns and what i recognize as these patterns is you just decide that something is a territory for you even though it is someone else's life and place and home. Mm -hmm. That's what the first colonization did. Columbus, Papal Bull, go conquer, use military, call them barbarians, civilize them. Always a civilizing mission. So the gates of the world are trying to civilize us by forcing digital technologies where we need them or not. Where we need them, fine, I'm more than open to it. But the forcing is what I find. The narrative of civilizing that if you don't have a smartphone, you're somehow not smart enough. Right. When all the smartness lies in our minds and brains. Yeah, that and then enclosure of the commons and enclosure of the commons. <laughs> so right now, what's being enclosed is the commons of our minds. As this brilliant book, Surveillance Capitalism, showed that in this, you know, 
if for the British, the land became property, then for the Monsantos, um, seed became in intellectual property. For this age, basically, we are the property, we are the mine, and our data being mined is not just the raw material, but we are then also the supermarket on whom this process data has to be done to modul modulate our behavior. So um, it is the ultimate enclosure of our humanity. Therefore, when I say we face extermination, I mean it both in the ecological and biological sense, but I mean it in the sense of our total being, mm -hmm. our being as full autonomous beings who can think, who can make choices, who can care, who can work for justice, who can be compassionate. Those are the values that have kept all beings alive, including human beings. And those are the values threatened with extinguishing. So when, when I think of the, um, the, you know, the crisis of extinction, it's not just an issue of other species. It's definitely not an issue of only of our biological being, even though that's at stake. Look at the number of people who've died of hunger during the COVID lockdown. Look at the number of people who've lost their livelihoods during the COVID lockdown. Every day I meet a young man who lost what they were doing and are somehow struggling, selling vegetables, driving a little taxi. And, and this is just the beginning. You know, if you project this process, then you know there'll be the next. And, and, and today they're selling vegetables. They'll try and make that illegal, which they've been trying forever under sanitary and phytosanitary agreement. So it is time for us to have unity with other beings and to have solidarity. And that's why I talk of Earth democracy. I started to talk about it in, uh, you know, in the lead up to, um, to the World Trade Organization meetings at, uh, at Seattle. But I think more than ever before, individualism, will make us victims. Solidarity and community will allow us to find ways beyond this colonialism, which are the same ways that got us out of the old colonialisms. Yeah. I think you make such a good point that it's sort of, it's the same tactics and the same ends for the, for the colonizers. It's just that they have tools now that they've never had, which does give them access to our minds, our way of thinking, our ways of behaving with all of this data, as you said, and with technologies that we're being convinced we need. And I think what, that's one of the most dangerous tactics that they use to tell us, this is good for you. Say to the barbarians, they're too simple to you know, achieve what we can help them achieve. Say to the farmer that he needs this or she needs this genetically modified seed in order to create enough wealth to survive. It's this, it's this tactic of you need us and, and what we have is good for you. And you know, how do we see through that? How do we use our discernment to recognize what's real, you know, in ourselves and in each other to build those relationships that you're talking about and overcome this, mm -hmm. this, you know, what's being imposed on us essentially. So this requires the, uh, the decolonization of the past phases hmm. while we resist this colonization. So I see colon, uh, you know, colonialism having in a way three aspects that have to work together to reinforce each other. Mm. Of course, there was the colonialism, barbaric colonialism, but then very rapidly in two, 200 years, 
paraded as economics. It was never economics. It was always theft. But if you look, I mean, I, when I read the Adam Smiths of the world, and he, I'm saying he's just writing a justification of colonialism. Hmm. You know, he yeah. is not talking about how people organize their lives to meet their needs and care for the earth. Hmm. So uh, commercial ca- colonialism and, and com- co- commercial commerce as colonialism, which became mutated into economics. Yeah. And therefore, every time we are told this is economics, this is economics, this is the economy, it's good for the economy, it's necessary for the economy. You hear it so that often. Is, that and, then, is, and then everyone stops talking, you know? Everyone stops talking. Right. So we have to go back to the roots. You know, I'm doing my new book. And in fact, the Italian version, I think, should be out, but the Span- Spanish people are doing it, the English will be out. And, uh, and this book, Oneness versus One Percent, is out in Germany, in German. Hmm. And... Um, uh, Basically, um, you know, I went back to the roots of all these words and hmm. interestingly, like so much else, um, the roots, which are usually Latin, are the opposite of how the terms are being used today. Yeah, which... So economy never meant making money. Economy meant the art of living, hmm. taking care of our household, or it costs. Yeah? The second element is changing the idea of what is knowledge and how we know what's reality, how we know. And that's the mechanistic paradigm put together very, very violently. Um, it's early days are actually the witch hunts. Yeah. What were people? I mean, and, and Germany was the capital of the witch hunts. People think it was the Catholic countries. No, the witch hunts killed most people and it began with heresy. If you speak opposite but every knowledge has multiple plural pluralities of knowing um the bacons of the world the descartes of the world the boils of the world uh my book staying alive went to those roots to try and understand why is uh, why are the western paradigms so exploitative and how come our women rise to protect the forest and um, and the so-called scientific forest is only about logging and logging and logging and logging so I went to the roots of that Baconian science. The, th- the third is the technology issue. So we, it's not that we've invented technology now. We've always had technology. And any transformation, any tool, not just of human beings, but of nature, of all beings, is a technology. When the bird makes its nest, you know, it is a sophisticated technology. When a bee makes its hive, it is a sophisticated technology. But part of what colonialism, the last colonialism did was build these walls and said only men count and not women, only white men count and not other people, only the colonizer counts and the rest are barbarians to be colonized. They are not human, therefore empty land. This particular disenfranchisement went together. Therefore, you cannot think of racism as a different pro- problem and patriarchy as a separate problem and, um, and religious intolerance as a separate problem and class division as a separate problem. They are part of one system which required all of these exclusions. But for me, the most serious exclusion really was anthropocentrism that humans who can exploit the rest of humans and nature 
are somehow superior and anthropocentrism then is what allows us to be blind to the intelligence of the bee and the fungi and the bacteria um, of the wolf and the whale. And it also is what allows the blinding of the technologies because technology and intelligence are not separate. You know, it's the intelligence that allows you to discriminate that then allows you to shape the tools that enhance the well-being of those around you and yourself. Now, mm. all that goes in the meaning of technology. For the first time, with colonialism, technologies became tools of exploitation. Then the oil age made it worse. It became extractive. And in a way, it is not an accident that the digital barons talk about data as the new oil because for them, the age of oil is organizing system on the basis of which we are re they are reducing us they are reducing us to fossil fuels hmm. to be mined yeah. you know they are reducing us to inert systems you know objects to be manipulated hmm. just like they could turn oil into petrochemicals and pesticides and plastics they would like us to be human pesticides and human plastic and for me when the hate speech and the amplification through social media is like the pest social pesticide yeah. and when they force us to forget what really matters to our well-being and we lose that discrimination we are becoming plastic human beings nathan yeah no it's it's <sighs> There are moments during this pandemic even where watching this rhetoric of we must separate from each other, we must isolate, we must, and you can never consider any alternative. And if you do, then you're foolish or you're dangerous or putting other people in danger. And it's not to say that some of the science, you know, I, I certainly am not a virologist, but it seems to me that building communities through these times is the most important thing we can do. And we have to be careful I'd about like how. To but... yeah. yeah, Nathan, I'll just give you two examples. So my main work is with rural communities, with women, with farmers. And in, because we are largely a land of farmers, 60% of India farms today, they, you know, the lockdown could not lock down every farm, otherwise India would have starved. <laughs> so during lockdown, the farmers worked. In the rural areas where we work, not one person had COVID, not one person. <laughs> Okay, and that's not all. 14 months, the Indian farmers were protesting on the streets of Delhi. Every highway around Delhi had been occupied by them. 14 months against new laws of deregulation, which would have wiped them out. You know, they, our farmers watch America. They watch Canada. They watch Europe. You know, it's not that they don't have relatives in these other places. Sure. You know, and... Uh, and so they don't want to go there. They don't want to go in that place of disposability. So we want to farm. Hmm. We are proud farmers. We are feeders of the nation. We want to stay here. And uh, 14 months, more than 100,000, 200,000 people gathered in one place. <laughs> no COVID. No COVID. So, Makes you know, you as a scientist, I, as a scientist, I say, observe the phenomena. That's hmm. what we're supposed to do. Right. Um, the, the last thing you need to do is take the propaganda of those who have a lot of money to make out of digitalizing our universes. And uh, they are not virologists either. <laughs> so how come they're in charge of telling us what we should be doing? Yeah. How come they're in charge to tell us 
that everything should lock down? How come they're in charge of w- making the whole, to me, what's been really strange about COVID and lockdowns is how the whole world marched in Hitlerian march. Hmm. You know, we have been diverse enough for each country to work out its health system and its health responses. It's not that we haven't had pandemics before. It's not that we haven't had infectious diseases before, but we had sovereign health systems. We had public health systems. Hmm. What we've watched in COVID is the end of public health as a public good. Hmm. And the rise. And with Mr. Gates running the WHO and there's enough evidence on all of this in a way, sadly, Uh, epidemiology went through the window, virology went through the window, medicine went through the window, and the best of people weren't being being listened to. Hmm. So I think observe the phenomena. Don't blindly believe rhetoric, especially rhetoric that comes from those who would like you to be fractured and fragmented. Rhetoric that makes you afraid of yourself. Afraid of your child, afraid of your neighbor, afraid of your family. You know, it's a deeper level of fear-mongering. It is. And, and yes, we must have deep science, but this is not science. No, you're right. Any, any fear of self, fear of the, of the self's ability to heal, to be resilient, of connection to others, we should look very suspectly at these arguments being made. And also this sort of this raising of a savior of a multi-billion dollar industry, which is now our only solution, the pharmaceutical industry is the only way to get us out of this. How is it that we're not more, we're, how is it that we're not questioning that narrative more? Uh, well, you know, the interesting scale? thing is because, uh, you know, f- uh, for years I have... Uh, Hey, so if you're still listening to this episode, you probably enjoy it, which means maybe you think other people would enjoy it too. If so, if you think this story or stories like it would inspire people that you know, please share this episode with them. Send them a link. And if you haven't already, be sure to hit subscribe, leave us a review and a rating on whatever platform you're listening on to help us reach more people to grow this community of passionate world changers. And thanks, as always, for being here for engaging with these conversations with us. We wouldn't do it if not for you. Now it's about 20 years. We've had the Earth University in uh, in India and uh, basically learning from the Earth, learning how to take care of the Earth. And um, and people who come to our Earth University, the Nathania Biodiversity Farm, have never fallen ill. And uh, they work with the soil. Hmm. They work with each other. But every time I've had a group of visitors in Delhi because they are so antiseptic-sized, you know, they fall ill immediately. So beyond a point, chemical, beyond a point, chemical killing of that which gives us immunity is the source of disease. So, you know, I've read so much saying, oh, we must kill every virus. Well, that's what they try to do with pesticides. Let's kill every pest. Let's kill every insect. Now we have more and more and more diseases in agriculture. Right. Not less. Right. We are walking biomes. We are walking biomes. How can you declare war on yourself? These are simple things of fundamental science that people need to remember, recognize, learn. So when you said, how do you discriminate? Life is lived. Hmm. Life is not 
prescribed. I love that. And, and yeah. living is the best teacher. <laughs> and, and discrimination is intelligence. You know, in, intelligence comes from intellegory, the ability to discriminate, to make a choice, to know this is good and this is not. If bacteria and fungi can do it, you know, let's remember we have done it. You know? And this is our last opportunity as <laughs> human beings to say, I will discriminate. And discrimination is not a negative world if it's not blind. Discrimination between right and wrong, good and bad, not in absolutist terms, but in relational terms. So in India, our guiding th thought is dharma, the right action. That's where the right livelihood comes from. Mm. You know, dharma is right livelihood, the right action. What is the right action? Well, you're related to millions of species. You're related to hundreds of human beings who are in one way or the other connected to you. Your right relationship is with all of them, not with one. It's not mm. absolutist. It doesn't come from us. That's why in Indian philosophy, we talk of swa dharma. The dharma that comes from you as a conscious living being, responsible and compassionate for other living beings to whom you're related. That is where reality comes from. That reality is what they'd like to extinguish so that their fake worlds, the fake food, the fake science, the fake media can take over our lives. But the minute we lose our ability to discriminate between real soil and real food and fake food and farming without farmers, then we've already written an extinction sentence for ourselves. We've already written it. Then, you know, uh, just like artificial uh, movement of machines can be treated as a robot, you know, but it's not a person. It's just a bundle of machinery. Uh, you know, we would just then be robotic. And what I've seen in these two year years is as more and more people are depending on these gadgets to become smart, they are losing their basic ability to make sense of everyday matters. Mm. Put two and two together to say, mm. this is what it is. And, um, and in a way, our, you know, our brains are already being frozen and we are dumbing down on a very rapid scale. So I would say, you know, love living, <laughs> defend living and love the freedom of your mind. You know, mm. don't give it up. Every freedom movement has been about freedom. And uh, Gandhi said, you can, you can kill me, you can shoot me, you can, no, but you can't take my being away because that being is within me and you can't steal that from me. Yeah? And that sense of the autonomy of the being in interrelatedness is what's being tested to its fullest. And, and it's under harsh test that the best emerges is my learning from a long life. You know? yeah. Yeah. We used to say a lovely prayer in school. The steel is strong because it knows the hammer and hmm. white heat. And with the hammer and white heat of what we are living through uh, from the, you know, the hammer of the 1%, let us emerge shining and strong as human beings. Wow. I just felt chills through my whole body. Um, and I think what I love so much about your perspective is this strength that you have. You, you, there's no defeat in your voice there's no there's no this isn't over this isn't inevitable we we are powerful we when we recognize who we really are 
there's power there. And when we see each other for who we really are and what we can do together, there's power there. And it it almost sounds to me like your antidote is to this entire sort of this choice that we have, this what's being imposed on us or what will actually give us life is diversity and getting back to what's real and and respecting you know, the true things we have, which is the earth, which is each other, which is the gift of our life. And I, I, I won't be as articulate, I don't think, as you at, at coalescing this, but um, I just feel so much strength and power in the way you speak. And it's inspiring to me. And I would love to hear you speak about that, that power that we have yeah. as beings. So, I have worked in service of the seed for the last 34 years, saving seed, for the simple reason I did not accept that it was a machine that was invented by Monsanto. I said, that is rubbish. <laughs> and seed is living. And I didn't know enough about it, but I do know it is living. And it's not Monsanto's invention. So what I have learned from the seed is so small. I mean, look at the mustard seed. <laughs> from the Bible. Look at the yeah. sesame seed. Yeah. And in that is a power. And that power is in us. So the minute we realize we are par- part of nature and not separate, that nature is not dead, but alive. And it's alive like in my quantum th- training. You know, in the quantum world, there are no fixed entities. You know, therefore, there is nothing like extermination. There's potential. You cannot exterminate potential. Mm. It is lying in the seed. So the seed, you know, I have made seed collections. An old woman said, you know, I used to grow this, this seed, but 40 years ago I stopped and uh, because nobody was eating it anymore. And here is a little bit in my little underground seed, seed bank. Um, try it. And it didn't just grow out after 40 years. It did better than all the contemporary grown seeds because you know in those days people used to breed with a lot of care and a lot of love so latency is not in inertness you know waiting for your potential to rise so i say okay the mr gates time will pass your time will go but the second thing as you mentioned is diversity and and resilience diversity is where resilience comes from and any mechanical thing breaks down Hmm. Every living thing heals, repairs, rejuvenates. And that is where I get my foundational hope. I, you know, we tried an interview on another system and it didn't yeah, work. It's true. <laughs> you know, yeah. I have, you know, how many times the bank can't give you a reply because their systems are down. Hmm. The airlines can't give you a boarding pass. The systems are down. Well, in mechanical systems, systems go down. Hmm. In living systems, the potential for life lives on and on and on. And if we were to just keep those two things in mind, no one should despair. Everything should organize to grow life today in their backyard, in a little pot, in the community and and organize. Hmm. There will be no option outside organizing. Right. And. And, th- and that's why for me, seed saving, creating community, seed banks saw us through the last colonial age of, of Monsanto's bioimperialism. And, you know, I look at when it started, it was like, my God, they want all the seed of the world. And I went through a, f- a chill. I said, mm-hmm. what will happen if there's no other seed except the GMOs and patent seed? And I said, no, we can't let it happen. And we started saving seeds. 
and here the seeds are alive and Monsanto's gone. Mm, that's true. Shouldn't we take some kind of message from that? You know, let's think of a decade from now. Let's think of 2030. Not in the vision of the great reset of the rich, cruel guys of this world, but a great reprogramming with intelligence and compassion of humanity in concert with other beings. <laughs> we can do it. Yeah. It's totally doable. Yeah. And I love also, I mean, I find inspiration in the history of India with the Satyagraha movements of Gandhi, the people's movements, which really grew out of this solidarity with, with other real people and the end of the East India Company, which was brought about by people. And in recently in India with this farmers movement, I think 333 days of protests, hundreds of farmers lost their lives to this struggle, but they won. The Prime Minister Modi came out and said, we're, we're not going to roll out these exploitative laws. There's evidence that it works. If we can just build the right connections, and that is where technology becomes our tool. We can build yes. solidarity through that. We can use, it's not innately bad or good. It's how we use it, as I think you said earlier. So we can use that as our tool to connect, to, to, to build true relationships, to build true movements of solidarity around these ideas of life and the preserving of it. Um, yeah. Um, I want to be mindful of your time, Dr. Shiva, but one thing I really want to ask you about is this idea of Vasudeva Kutumbakam, because it's one of my favorite things that I've heard you speak about. And um, I really would be so grateful if you'd share what it means to you. Yeah. So, you know, the living earth has many names. She's Gaia. She, in, in Greece, she's Pachamama in, in the Andean countries. She's Erd, um, I think, in, in so many European languages. And in India, she has many names, but one of them is Vasundhara. <laughs> yeah? And Vasudheva Kutumbakam is Vasundhara's family. Kutumb is family. <laughs> so Vasudheva Kutumbakam is the earth family. And the earth family is a clear thinking that the bees and the earthworms are not less than us. They are part of the family. Just like a new baby in a family is not a less being. It's just a newborn being. But newness in age doesn't make it less. Height, age, color, gender, religion, none of them make people less and more. Yeah? So beings are being, and at any point of their lives, they are full beings. And then the next step of their life, their full beings at that step of their life. So Vasudev Kutumgam is really about the democracy of all beings. That's why when I wrote Vasudeva, when I wrote a democracy, I took inspiration from Vasudeva Kutumgam. But for me, it's been the guidance when I fight a Monsanto who wants to own and patent life. I say, Vasudeva Kutumgam, you can't own your family. You can't turn your family into property, even though you've had distorted societies that tried to do that. Um, that you cannot manipulate other beings, that they are your family, so you have to live in partnership with them. And, you know, in a family, a family is harmony only when you accept all the strange behaviors each of us has. And, you know, harmony is when you say, oh, this one has this little twist, yeah, we live with it. And this one has this crankiness, and we live with it. And that ability to live with this diversity of being is what makes family. 
and to live with the diversity of beings of the earth is what makes the earth family and every step of uh, of the new colonialism if the old colonialism was to take over what's there the new colonialism is take over what's there by twisting it and manipulating it and engineering it and saying you aren't good enough and i will make you a superior being to yourself and and that's why vasudev kutumkam is a brilliant guide <laughs> on how to live on this earth in a way without harming the earth harming other people letting them enjoy their share of the earth's gift and enjoying your share of the earth's gift we have a very beautiful upanishad short upanishad it's and it's um, i think the first stanza is this universe and earth is for all of us and it's it's sacred and it's divine and enjoy the gifts it says enjoy the gifts but without greed recognizing that others have their share and when you take from others when you take more than your right you are taking other share you're taking from other humans you're taking from other beings you're taking from future generations and therefore it's theft yeah yeah and what i love about it is i think it's built on truth which is why it's it resonates which is why it lives because i mean you look at the aboriginal culture in australia there's there's a reason they sustained their livelihood for thousands of years even i think the history of india there's similar stories where there yeah, was yeah, there yeah. was wealth and and prosperity because there was respect and reciprocity and yeah. an idea that's built on truth will always have life and so that's why navdanya your organization is thriving where monsanto had to be eaten by another organization in order to continue any form of its life and yeah i, I think that's beautiful um and maybe just as we wrap up uh there was a quote from the book that really resonated with me and it was the duty to care the courage to stop the harm being caused by the 1% to the earth or by those who would cause harm in parentheses not mine and its beings is a part of life and living which to me says we're all being called now to be part of this earth family to take this on to ourselves to lend our voice to the conversation in whatever way we can soon we won't have a choice but to choose you know we we either have either have to decide that we're going down this path of kind of being colonized whether we know it or not taking this narrative on from those in power or choosing to build with each other and and kind of have this renaissance of our relationship to the earth to nature and each other and i would love to just hear maybe again as we wrap up your thoughts on what the individual can do what each of us can take on what our responsibility is um how can we be part of this earth family how can we invite others into the fold so you know both my quantum training as well as my vasudeva kutumkam training has um, has has shown that the you know a artificial duality that was created by the colonial age and the industrial age and the mechanistic age of the individual versus society yeah that if you're socially responsible then you have to give up somehow part of what's good for you okay. and that is a very artificial conflict that dualism is artificially constructed the conflict is artificially constructed so each of us has to be more of who we are yeah but not at the cost of others in fact by taking care of others and not just avoiding harm but going beyond and saying taking care and if that is the case then sovereignty and relationship go hand in hand 
And because autonomy, sovereignty and relationship go hand in hand, the individual's responsibility is the responsibility to everything around, knowing that the more you give, the more you receive. All indigenous cultures, whether it's the Native Americans or the Aboriginal Australians or the Indian society, we grew prosperity by giving. Every mother creates prosperity by giving. And it's this art of giving that we need to reclaim because the grabbers made us all feel so insecure that if we weren't little petty grabbers in their image, we would have nothing, you know. And they created a very artificial sense of insecurity. And the idea of Vasudev Kutumgam is to know our security comes from nature. Our security comes from community. Our security comes from our loving relationships. And therefore, the more you give, the more you'll have. I have lived a very long life on this principle. And I can tell you, I'm well looked after. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, taking care of me means taking care of you, means taking care of all that we have around us, which is nature as yeah. well. Thank you so much, Dr. Shiva. This has been... Uh, I don't really have words right now. It's really, truly been beautiful to speak with you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nathan. And take care of yourself and everyone around you and every being around you. Bye-bye. What I think and I hope is obvious is Dr. Shiva's passion for protecting the earth and for protecting the rights and sovereignty of life in all forms, human, plant, and animal. She does not accept corporate messages of improving life through proprietary means. In other words, only my product, my technology, my path can create a better world, a safer world for you and your family. She believes that corporate interests don't have the answers, that we do, the communities, the members of the Earth family. And she's connected to a deeper understanding, I think, that nature is wise and that the Earth is abundant without corporate guarantees. There's abundance without corporate manipulation of nature. And then what truly matters is what's real. Our authentic expression as free and creative beings. What's real is our connection to our environments and to each other. Whether you agree with all of her perspectives or not, and if you don't, I would recommend reading her books just to get a little closer to some of her ideas and maybe do some of your own research. But even if you have a different perspective, I think we can all agree that Dr. Shiva is a wise and fierce advocate for a kind of planet we would all like to inhabit, one based on values of peace, prosperity for all, freedom from oppression in any form, and free from these ideas of colonialism and behaviors which make some very wealthy and very powerful while destroying what we're all realizing are the most important things to protect. Which takes us to our first takeaway for today's episode, what we call our changemakers. Changemaker number one, colonization continues. Will we allow it? I think my biggest takeaway today is that the colonial mindset will continue until we, as a collective global community, put it to rest. Its form may change, but the core goals and beliefs that drive it don't. That mindset of seize and control, of making something yours to own, that exploiting and extracting as though there are no limits on growth. That's been our primary method of expansion across the globe for centuries, if we look. 
I'm no historian, but you could probably argue that this way of thinking goes back to the Roman Empire and possibly before. We've seen what this mindset gives us. We've seen it over and over again. Are we ready for a new paradigm? Are we finally ready to create new cultural stories around what it means to live in the world, how to be on this planet? If so, I think we'll find great inspiration in indigenous traditions and stories and methods, which Vandana Shiva is hugely inspired by, which were modeled on ideas of sustainability and caring for life and for the earth around us as much as we care for our own lives because we're directly related, we're connected. Let's reframe our societies based on new ideas before these final areas of colonization, our lives, our behavior, our data, are taken to their natural end when it comes to this way of thinking, before we are the resource that becomes exploited. Changemaker number two, we're at a crucial crossroads, right now. It's time to make our choice about the world we wish to inhabit. I think one of the main reasons this moment is so important is because of the tools that those in power, those with corporate and financial influence, have at their disposal. In the past, the colonizer sought to control land, sought to control people for free labor through slavery or very cheap labor through programs like indentured servitude. They sought to control resources, to take them from the earth as though they were an unlimited free way to make money. To commoditize nature. But now, the colonizer mindset has advanced technologies at their disposal, and some of them could be dangerous. For example, a lot of us have heard the quote from former American President Dwight Eisenhower, beware the military-industrial complex. This was in the last address he gave to the American people. He thought it was that dire. And he had led America through World War II as a top general in the military, so it was a significant warning coming from him. Now, profit from war is a motivator for the colonizer mindset, and we've seen it play out for many global corporations who profit from war. And if you're wealthy enough, you can influence governments and events enough to create war. We've seen that too. During a time in the world when our weapons are powerful enough to actually destroy the planet, there is unprecedented risk. And when there are now nanotechnologies that are patented, that can actually inhabit our bodies and influence our bodies, what does the colonizer who owns those technologies gain the influence to do? It's an important question to ask, which Dr. Shiva is asking. Will we continue to allow and participate in a global society that is primarily informed by ideas, values, and tactics of profit-making and of colonization? Or will we continue to explore a new set of values on which to base our societies and how we live? I said this in our first episode of the year to kick off 2022. I think we only have so much more time to choose on a global scale. It's time to start picking the path we're going to take at the local community level and at the global community level so we can start to build a greater movement around these new ideas to reshape our world. Which takes us to changemaker number three. There is a solution to all of this. There's a next stage in the evolution of democracy into an earth democracy, as Dr. Shiva calls it. 
a democracy informed by values of sustainability, reciprocity with nature, community-based security around food and the exchange of goods because people interrelate and make sure that each other's needs are met, steered by acknowledgement of the rights of all living beings to live and thrive. Colonization cannot succeed where communities are strong. I think we've seen that in many global movements, but especially in Dr. Shiva's native India. People's movements to defend their own rights and the rights of their environments are powerful, and we can learn from them, model our own movements after them. And as Dr. Shiva and I discussed, diversity is a response to these corporate ideas of uniformity. Uniformity in crops, uniformity in our approaches to life, to work, to business, to the production of food. We can rally around the same ideas and values, but then invent our own individual local solutions based on our needs and identities, and then collaborate and share and compare success stories around the world. Dr. Shiva mentions divide and conquer often as the tactic of the colonizer, and a divide and conquer strategy holds no power over a family bound together by their relationship to each other and the earth, led by respect for themselves and each other and the earth and all life. Divide and conquer can't work on people who will not be divided by false perceptions of what makes us different. When all races of people from all backgrounds agree on these certain values by which to live and share the earth, these artificial separations created by things like racism and religious intolerance and gender conflict will disappear, and divide and conquer will just get weaker and weaker until it goes. But it's up to us to build that community, that community strong enough to withstand divide and conquer in all of its forms. Here's what you can do today. Educate yourself and engage. Engage with conversations that ask questions about the world and how we live in it and how we could do things differently. Join this earth family that Vandana Shiva talks about by making issues of ecological and environmental protection personal for you. Learn more about the conversations going on around the world and in your community, and choose your path forward as you do, as far as how you want to get involved. Start conversations where you are. There's actually a really exciting opportunity for all of us this week to be part of this conversation. There's a film festival I just learned about called the Shift Your World Film Festival which features short-length and feature-length films, some documentaries, some stories, focused on topics of global community and indigenous voices and our relationship to nature and to the earth and questions of human rights. And it's free. It's all the topics that we've been talking about today. They're actually featuring a brand new film all about Dr. Vandana Shiva and her life and her life's work called The Seeds of Vandana Shiva, And this film will be available through the festival alongside several other inspiring films. Some of them are nominated for Academy Awards. The festival takes place this weekend from February 17th through 20th. And you can sign up for free to watch any of the films being shown at shiftyourworldfilmfestival.com. Just put your name and email in, you'll get a free pass, and you can watch digitally as the films air live. Or, if you want to watch On Demand after the festival, you can also purchase a pass for $49, I believe, at the moment, providing access to all films and also extra content for, I think, two or three weeks after the festival is finished. 
I'm not getting paid to talk about any of this. I just think this film festival is really awesome. And I cannot wait to watch this film about Dr. Shiva specifically. And the timing just works out kind of perfectly that it's this weekend as we're airing our episode. So totally unplanned, total coincidence, but check it out if you're interested in these conversations and if you want to learn more. Dr. Shiva and I frankly didn't talk all that much about her work in depth, and it's worth learning about. Believe me, it's so inspiring what she's been able to do and the courage that she's had to stand up to these insanely powerful corporate interests. Here's our challenge for you for this episode. We do this every episode. Our challenge today is spend some time with a figure you admire, someone who inspires you. Dig a bit deeper into their ideas. Learn more about what drives them or drove them if they're no longer alive. What was their story? And how did they get so passionate and take action in a way that got the word out about whatever message they were trying to share? It's honestly probably my favorite part of creating this show, getting to learn more about the guests that we have, to really dig deeper into their stories and learn what makes them tick and what their ideas are and how they implemented them. I would encourage everyone to do this with people who inspire them so that we all can build our awareness of these models of how to make a better world. I've been reading Gandhi's autobiographies and learning about him from his own perspective versus sort of the sound bites that we get out in the world is such an enriching and amazing experience. I would absolutely recommend something like that for everyone, whether you choose Gandhi or not. Go beyond those sound bites for someone who inspires you and give some thought to how their ideas could inform our world and create positive change from your perspective. If you'd like to support Dr. Shiva and her work, or learn more, go on to navdanya.org, N-A-V-D-A-N-Y-A.org, or navdanyainternational.org, to learn more about her nonprofit and what they're doing and how you can get involved. Read Dr. Shiva's books, which are fascinating and contain a lot of new ideas as she puts the pieces together in her own unique way based on what she sees and where she sits in the world. Her book, Staying Alive, really changed global perceptions of Native and Indigenous and so-called peasant women, women who work in agriculture within local communities around the world. The book that I read to get ready for the interview today, Oneness Versus the 1%, is eye-opening and sometimes a little bit scary, to be totally honest, but I always prefer to know what's going on with eyes wide open so that I can be ready and see clearly in the world. Her book, Soil Not Oil, is also a landmark book for a lot of people. Who Really Feeds the World is another great one, so check them out. This conversation around how we produce food is, I mean, core to our lives as beings who eat. So I think it's good to engage with it. And you can, of course, donate to Navdanya to support the work that Dr. Shiva and her team are doing on the ground in India to support farmers directly and preserve biodiversity. And at the least, you can jump onto YouTube and listen to some of Dr. Shiva's other speeches and interviews. I'd be shocked if you don't find yourself agreeing with at least some of what she says about our world and just the clear vision she has for what's wrong from her perspective based on what she believes the world could be and what it could be and what could get us there. Thank you for sharing this episode with anyone you think would love it, get inspired by it, learn from it. Thank you for talking about these topics with people close to you to get these conversations going in the world and build momentum around them. Stay well, treat yourself and others well. And we'll close today with another quote from Dr. Shiva, which I think is just a beautiful expression of one of her core ideas. It's just a question of getting rid of the illusion 
that we are separate from nature, we are apart from nature, we are conquerors of nature, and sorting that fundamental fact out that we are part of the Earth community would start to change everything, beginning with the fact that we would recognize that the more we save species, the more we save ourselves. And that's why my action has been saving seeds and biodiversity and serving the soil and the earth so that she in turn, as our mother earth, gives us abundance.